All right, everybody. Is everyone okay? Yes, thanks. Good, good. Uh, I love that we've been talking about courage today. I'm going to tell you about one of the most courageous men that I've ever met. Uh, he was a guy that lived above the corner shop, not far, no, above the takeaway, not far from my house. Openshaw Friary, I don't know if you remember that one, Claire. On the Ashton Old Road, uh, above the shop was a guy called, uh, who lived there, called Mohammed, Mohammed Erod, named by uh, the prophet Mohammed twice. So his surname was Mohammed Erod, his first name was Mohammed, so his whole name, Mohammed, Mohammed Erod. And uh, yeah, I met Mo, um, well, at the takeaway, like you do. And uh, we got, became friends. Mo came to church. And uh, before long, we became uh, very intimately involved. He, he sort of fell in love with our family, um, really took a shine to looking after Willow. And it was really kind of beautiful for us. I knew him for a long, long time, Mo. And then uh, because he was from Iran and was a Muslim, as he became a Christian, it made it increasingly difficult for him ever to be a go home. His dad abandoned him. His sister and his brother didn't want to know, even though his sister lived in Stockport. And, uh, and so it was really tricky for Mo uh, to know what to do with his life. Every month he'd have to go to a place near where Ian works to have to sign his name to say that he hadn't disappeared anywhere. So he had to report into this office, this kind of... Um, Detention centre office, what do you call it? What would, you, what would be a good name for that, Ian? It's called, I think they call it a reporting. A reporting office, just to say that he hadn't gone AWOL. Anyway, one time he turned up there and he signed his name like he did every month and they took him away. Uh, that's it, they arrested him on the spot, they put him in the back of one of them sweat vans, they drew, drove into Manchester Airport and they put him in a holding cell. Now, Mo had one phone call and he called me and I had to go to Manchester Airport. Now, if you've ever been to see someone who's in detention at Manchester Airport, they make it intentionally very, very difficult for you to go and see them. So you put your car in the car park. There are no instructions or signs as to where you go. So I was walking around all these buildings. Where would you even know to go apart from in the terminal to get on an aeroplane to go? I'm thinking, where on earth would he be? So I walked all the way around this building. And finally, I found like a buzzer on a wall and a sign that kind of said something like, you know, like a, a security company. So I rang the buzzer and I said, is this the detention center? A voice went, yes. And I said, uh, I've come to see my friend, Mohammed Mohammed Rod. Wait there. And they made me wait about 25 minutes. So I rang the buzzer again. Bzz. Hello, is that the detention centre? Yes. I'm here to see Mohammed Mohammed Rod. We know. And uh, when they turned up at the door, they were so hostile. They absolutely like, were hateful towards me. Now, I don't know if you know me, but I'm a bit of a fighter uh, underneath this was the exterior particularly when things are in an injustice I can't help but kind of fight it so I told the guy that he treat, was treating me badly and I was worried about how he was treating my friend and all this stuff we got into a bit of a row and uh, anyway that's another story for another day but they take me through to this side room which is like a swimming pool changing room with those benches around the side and nothing else apart from rules on the wall of what I was and I wasn't allowed to do and I was left in that room for about 30 minutes. Finally, they bring in my friend Mohammed, Mohammed Rod, and he sits in there opposite me and we begin to talk. And I said, what have you done? He said, I have done nothing. What's gonna to happen to you? They're gonna send me back. And so I'm thinking, oh no, they can't send him back. Anyway, you know, long story short, 
I left that place and I have never ever seen him again. He was taken from there to Heathrow, he was put on an aeroplane and he was flown back to Tehran where he was uh, then interrogated by the Iranian authorities. They um, have beaten him badly and how do I know this? Well because after they, he'd been through prison there and had been awfully beaten, uh, he managed, uh, they let him out because they waited for a final court date and he ran away and so he was one of those people that escaped out of the country and tried to make his way back so at one point I had a picture of him uh, trying to be one of those migrants you know at the fence they were trying to get over the fence so that they could get somehow on some kind of uh, lorry or train or something to try and get across the channel and so I saw he sent me on whatsapp amazingly he kept my number and, uh, and then he was picked up and someone sent him back to Iran where he again was beaten and, and they then accused him of spying. Uh, Mo thankfully has got in contact with me recently. We began to communicate about what's happened in his life. They think because he's changed his religion that now he's a Christian that somehow he should die for his faith. Uh, and because he tried to change his name, because he didn't want to be called Muhammad anymore, he changed his name. They then think he's a spy. So they've done him for like changing his religion, done him for spying, and uh, he is in a real, real state. I was texting him last night and saying, have you found a church? And he said, I'm so scared even to go to church because they put spies in the church to report to the government. So he, he's totally all alone. He's in Iran, and uh, for many, many months he's been hiding from the government who he's fearful of. He's an incredible man. He's someone who's taken his faith seriously. Jesus has rescued him. I, baptized, I was there and baptised Mo in the sea. I believe his faith is real. But when the going gets tough, he's having to decide whether he's going to live for Jesus or not. Last week, we looked at this guy, Stephen. Stephen it was one of the first Christians in the early church who believed that Jesus was real and when the going gets tough and he's arrested and brought to this trial I read to you last week let me just remind you when the men, uh, only, and he's accused and he's asked all these questions and he gives this beautiful speech about the history of the Jews and then it brings it to land on Jesus Christ and he says you guys effectively killed Jesus he needs the answer and he's the one that's changed my life and it says this when the mem members of the court heard this they were furious and gnashed their teeth remember the gnashing of teeth from last week when Stephen but Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God look he's uh, he said I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voice they're going no 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 can't hear you can't hear you and they drag him out um, and they drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him Meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, and it's him we're going to talk about today. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He then fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold their sins against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen had the chance to make his life a bit better. Stephen, when he was accused, could have said, you know what, I was only just making it up. I got a bit carried away. I'm not really a follower of Jesus. Let's just leave it. I'll get on with life. And I believe they would have let him go. If he'd said, look, I was just making it all up. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. They'd say, off you go. But Stephen was convinced that the Jews had killed Jesus. Stephen was convinced that Jesus, when he died upon the cross, had died for his sins. 
Jesus had, uh, Stephen was convinced that Jesus' death meant that death had been defeated and that sin was over and that Jesus had come back to life. Stephen believed that Jesus was resurrected and was now alive. And so he couldn't deny it. When challenged by anybody, he was full of courage, filled with the Holy Spirit, full of courage, and he knew that Jesus was real. And so when questioned about whether Jesus was real, he couldn't help but say, I can't lie. And he believed it so much that he was willing to die for it. That's an incredible thing. What courage that is. I don't know how you would feel if you today were arrested by the police because suddenly they started hating Christians and they said, hey... Do you believe in Jesus? Would you go, I'd rather be alive than believe in Jesus? Or would you be willing to die for what you believe? Standing by that day, as men threw rocks at Stephen's head, was a man called Saul. He describes himself this way. Later in another letter that he writes, he says this. You know my pedigree, he says. A legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent of God's law, a fierce defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church. This is the way he describes himself. He says, I'm a seriously religious dude. I'm the most religious dude that's ever existed. I'm so pure in the faith, so good at this God stuff, that I'm the greatest. I'm probably the most religious man going. But he believes in this religion, this ancient religion of the Jews. He has no belief in the religion of Jesus. And so he thinks his job is to make sure that now Jesus is dead, any of his followers are either dead too, or if he threatens them with death, that they'll all turn their back on Jesus and they can close down Christianity. That's Paul's idea. He believes Jesus is dead, so if he puts pressure on Christians, they'll all say, well, he's dead, yeah, let's leave it, let's leave it, let's move on. Maybe they'll come back to being Jews or something like that. On that day, the day that Stephen died, a great persecution broke out in the church in Israel. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Isn't it fascinating that what we talked about when the church started right at the beginning, remember the flames on the top of the heads and the wind of the Holy Spirit, it said they found favour with everybody. Everyone was dead excited about what God was doing, but soon that changes. As soon as it starts to challenge people's way of thinking, they want Christianity to be shut down. They just hate it. And so this guy Saul wants to end Christianity. And so he begins to drag men and women out of their homes and take them to prison to try and convince them or punish them so that they don't begin to follow this way, this way of Jesus. One day Saul is going out with some of his men. They're on the way to Damascus. They've asked the Jewish authorities if they can have permission to go and get more people this city of Damascus they said can we go and get the people from there who are following Jesus and bring them back to Jerusalem and stick them in jail and so they get these papers they're allowed to do it so him and his mates they all get on this on their horses and they ride out towards Damascus and they're on this road called the Damascus road then something amazing happens there's this incredibly bright light it says this light that flashes all around Saul 
as he's riding on his horse or his donkey, this light, bright light from heaven, swirls around him. And it totally knocks him off his feet. I don't know if you've ever been injured. I got injured today. I went to the park with Alfie to play rugby. As we walked across the field, I missed a huge hole in the floor and I've totally done my ankle in. Look at the size of my ankle bone there. Twisted it. We didn't even get to play rugby at all. But when you're in pain, you just roll roll around on the floor. Alfie said, did you hurt your head? Because all I was doing was holding my head going, ah, ah, and uh, like this. And And another thing, when I was a kid... I was playing outside on my own with a, um, a table tennis racket and a ping pong ball and I hit this ping pong ball up on the wall and it came back, I missed it with the bat and it landed straight on my glasses. Now, kids' glasses should normally, by the way, that's the, why is that the funniest thing ever? When anybody gets hit in the spectacles, like it happened throughout my childhood, my glasses would come off and everyone would think that would be brilliant. But what should happen with kids' glasses is that they should be made of plastic. But the opticians had made a mistake and they put glass in my glasses. So as I, this ball, as I swung and missed this ping pong ball, it landed straight on my glasses and shattered glass into my eye. All I could do was roll around on the floor and scream, screaming because I couldn't see. And this is what is happening with Saul. He has been struck by this light. It's so bright, like it's just completely knocked him off his horse or off his feet and he's lying on the floor and he's like ah he can't see a thing he's totally blind and then in his like confusion and his pain and his blindness he uh he hears this voice and the voice says Saul Saul why are you persecuting me? Now, what goes through your mind at that point? You're completely disorientated. He's on the floor in the fetal position. He's totally blind and he hears a voice. You imagine that the somebody stood over him. You imagine that someone's going to get him. I wonder if he thought it was Stephen to start with. But actually, you know he doesn't because he says, Who are you, Lord? He shouts out, Who are you, Lord? So he must think it's God or something. He knows it's supernatural. And then he hears this voice say, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Oh my goodness. The light has swirled around him, knocked him onto the floor. He's blind, he cannot see. And this voice says, I am Jesus. I just love it, first of all, that Jesus identifies with the persecuted. Jesus sees himself as Stephen. As Stephen was being, had rocks thrown at his head, it was almost like Jesus was saying, this hurts me. You know, when Christians suffer, Jesus suffers with us. When we get hurt for the things that we do and the things that we believe, Jesus suffers with you, with us. And then the voice goes on to say, now get up. And go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. And so like, he tried to get himself to his feet and he realised that he is completely blind. And you, know, you imagine him shouting out to his mates going, where, where are you? Just c- come and help me. Did you hear the voice? And it says that they could hear the voice, but they saw nothing. They heard this voice, but they didn't know where it had come from. And they help him to his feet and they, they walk with him all the way to Damascus. Now in Damascus... There was a really godly guy, this guy called Ananias. 
And then Ananias had had a vision, a vision of heaven, and he too had heard his name. This voice say, Ananias. And Ananias had cried out, Here I am, Lord. And God, God or Jesus, says to Ananias, I will need you to go to this street called Straight Street and the house of a guy called Judas. And in the house of this guy called Judas, you'll find a guy called Saul. Saul of Tarshish is his name. And you've got to pray for him because he's praying to me right now. You've got to go and pray for him that he'd receive his eyesight back. Now, Ananias knows about Saul. Saul has got a well-known reputation that he's killing Christians. And Ananias is a Christian. And so he, goes to, he says to the Lord, don't really fancy it. I don't really want to help this guy because he is killing Christians. I don't want to go and do what you said, but God says, please go to the house because I've got plans for Saul. Plans to use him in the growing of my kingdom. And so Ananias does what he's told. He goes to find Saul and he prays for Saul. And as he's praying for him, this is what he says. He says, so Ananias turns up at the house and it says this in the Bible. It says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales, like fish scales, fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking food, he regained strength. Saul goes on from being a man who killed Christians to being a man who couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Everywhere that Saul went, he told people about Jesus. But everywhere that Saul went, bad things happened to him. It's interesting to note when you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean life gets easy. In fact, Saul showed us that following Jesus really costs you. It seems like life is harder following Jesus than without him. But doing the things of God are always the best things to do with our life. Three things, just to finish off, that we can learn from Saul. Firstly, God, uh, we are not defined by our past. I don't know what your past looks like I don't know whether it's full of carnage and mess or whether it's full of good things but God does not define us by our past God has got plans for us from this moment on and he puts the past to bed and he wakes us up to, up to a new life and doesn't hold our past against us when we look at Saul's life we understand that nobody is beyond being saved if there's anyone who deserved not to be rescued by Jesus it was this guy Saul he was killing Christians why would God want to rescue him but actually what it shows us is no matter how bad you are or doesn't matter how uh, 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 critical the things that you've done are Jesus loves us and wants us to be saved thirdly God can use anybody I don't know what you think about your life whether you're not you think well God wouldn't want to use me, I've done this or I've done that. God can use each one of us. God has a plan to use each one of us in the growing of his kingdom. God wants to meet us, to take the scales off our eyes, to help us see the world in a new way. Like um, Jen was sharing earlier, God wants to fill us with courage so that we can make known God. And sometimes 
that means some tough stuff for us. But I want to think just finally about Ananias, this guy. He's just minding his own business. He's in his bed and he gets this vision of God, a, a vision from God that he's supposed to go and help this guy Saul and, and pray for him. Just think about the courage of Ananias, knowing that there was a killer in town and God says, go help the killer. Go help the killer get better. What courage and obedience that took for Ananias to get off, up off his bed and go and find Saul. What forgiveness does Ananias show when he meets this guy? He's so forgiving of this guy that he calls him brother. He doesn't just call him Saul. He calls him brother Saul. And he welcomes him into the family of God and he baptizes him. And he helps him get on his feet and begin his ministry. Think about the courage of Ananias. It's quite incredible. The lengths he would go to in order to be obedient to Jesus. Jesus said two things. Pray for your enemies and love your enemies. Think about those people who have done damage to you and your family. Think about those people that have done things to you that have hurt you. These are not people we're supposed to hate. Jesus never said hate your enemies. He said love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And I thought as we finish today, we could think about those people who have done damage to us, who have hurt us and hurt the people that we know. I don't know if you saw this uh, bit of Glastonbury where Stormzy got up and did his set and he sang a song that he wrote called Blinded by Your Grace. And that really is what happens to Saul. He's a bad guy. He's an evil guy. He deserves to die. But yet he's blinded by God, blinded by grace. And it's grace that turns his life around. He was a horrible man trying to do damage to the people of God. But yet God rescued him, blinded him in his grace and gave him a new purpose. So as we listen and watch this track, I want you to think about the people who have done damage to you. And I want you to pray that God would heal them. And in his grace turn their lives around the people that have done damage that we really wish weren't even on the planet we really wish would be dead let's pray that God would rescue them because actually we don't want anybody to be without God imagine what God could do if he rescued each one of uh, the worst people in the world and gave them a new purpose so let's pray for those people that have hurt us thank you Ian